Hello, everybody. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my other co-host and best friend, Michael Hamilton. Michael, what is up? The, the ceiling, I guess. Well, what's above that? Then the sky, some clouds. A lot of things are up, actually. You always ask tough questions, though. So That's what I'm here for. Can't have things being too easy around in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's up over there? Life's pretty up in general, I suppose. I would say overall, I'm on the upswing on life. Just a lot going on. Raising a newborn baby, busy at work, recording sweet podcasts with my friends, and playing lots of flesh and blood. Just a lot. So a lot is up with me. That's what I would say. Sounds good. Sounds cool. Yeah. Hard to be down about it, that's for sure. But on this week, Michael and I don't have a set topic. I guess for a little background for people, originally this podcast, the idea behind it was Michael and I would travel for hours on end in car rides or just stay up late at night just talking about flesh and blood we would just have so much things to say and we would talk for hours about flesh and blood and we thought to ourselves well why don't we just record ourselves talking about flesh and blood and let other people listen to it in some kind of podcasty podcast <laughs> podcasty podcast yeah, the podcasty kind of podcast. And so we started the podcast, but every week we were coming up with these topics where we had the top 10 cards in Fab and cards in Uprising. And eventually it just kind of got tedious coming up with these clickbaity or direct topics about issues. So Michael and I are just going to try doing what we originally set out to do, just, just talk about flesh and blood. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the time it was cool kind of having these things to talk about but having to spend the time to prepare like tier lists and stuff going into it and on top of that not feeling like we needed to stay on topic throughout the cast kind of made it more strict feeling i guess so we wanted to try an episode like this see how it goes over so let us know in the comments if you like this more freeform style and be sure to comment and subscribe and subscribe <laughs> yeah anyways uh, like I said at the top of the cast, uh, I'm a busy guy. Michael's a busy guy. There's only so many hours in the day, but we still want to keep making content for you if we feel like it's something that's doable in our schedules, but anything we can do to streamline this process is something we're all about. But I guess to finally start talking about Flesh and Blood, Michael and I did play in a couple of Road to Nationals over the past couple of weeks. One was draft, one was class constructed. Uh, we're not going to go into like full detail about round by round breakdown or metagame analysis or tournament reports or anything like that, but I'm sure we have a, still have a lot to say about our Flesh and Blood experiences over the past few weeks and how we're feeling about f Flesh and Blood overall at the moment. So I guess to start off with, as far as Limited is concerned, what do you think went wrong in our road to nationals drafts what 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 didn't we do right in our games of flesh and blood because we're still not queued fun fact over these two weekends somehow former number one class constructed ranked michael hamilton did not get a road to nationals qualification and neither did mopey old roger Bodie. but we'll hope to change that this weekend so real quick in the limited road nationals i drafted icelander in both pods the first pod I went two and one. I got a draw instead. Well, two zero oh, and one. I guess I got a draw that last round. And then in the second pod, I went one and two, and I lost to Dromai twice. And I think that matchup felt really difficult from the Icelander side because they they really have the tools to fatigue you if you don't have like enough high damage cards in your deck. It's if you're just like slowing them down and firing spells, and they just have a few blues and then a couple of the prevent damage spells and life gain spells is very reasonable for Dromai to fatigue you and play against several rank the embers 
and one of my opponents had a Necria on turn one, and it was just, they had plenty of Ash generation, plenty of pressure, and still had enough Ash Wings to kind of soak up my damage while I was, like, stalling and firing back with the Waning Moon. And I think if you're going to play Icelander, you're going to have a really tough time with Dromize if you don't have any copies of Singe and you don't have too many of the high damage spells and you're just like heavier on the mostly blue and very few damage spells builds, which I feel like are better into both the Icelander Mirror and against Fi. But you really need those high damage spells against Dromai and you need to end the game in a reasonable amount of time otherwise you will get fatigued and that was something I wasn't really ready for at the first round of nationals and I remember walking over in your second draft bot I believe and there was an Uvia on the field and your opponent had like I don't know probably close to around 10 to 20,000 Aether Ash Wings it was hard to count how many were on the <laughs> battlefield but it was around that number I feel like and because you didn't have anything that could deal six damage or anything with six power attack left into your deck, there was literally nothing you could do about that Uvi anymore, right? Yeah, I actually had two poppers in that draft, but I had used both of them earlier, just on high damage turns, and then after those were gone, there was just no way to clear the Uvia that he drew late in the first cycle, and then just played it, and it got a ton of value. Right, because the interesting thing about Uvia is against Icelander as well is that you get punished less for using your reds to prevent arcane damage with arcane barrier with the whelps because you're pitching a red to prevent that one arcane damage obviously you want to be pitching a blue alongside of it but for pitching the reds which is something that drone wants to be doing anyways you're creating the ash which then right at the start of your turn uvia just makes into yet another source of arcane barrier for you and another source of chip damage once they're ready to start attacking so if you don't have a popper left there it almost seems like icelander is just hard locked out of the game if uh uvia gets out of control <laughs> it, it did feel that way i just didn't have any real way for the cards in my deck to deal enough damage to just get past four cards of arcane barriering and just attacking with a whelp every turn i just was not able to uh beat that and that's like the floor of what a turn could be for dromai within that game state i think uvia was a little bit lower in people's power rankings as far as dragons are concerned obviously everybody thinks necri is number one dominia the majestic one that can take cards out of your opponent's hand obviously very powerful but it's a majestic dragon, so you don't see it that often. And Chromai, just always being able to get your action point back. Those are kind of the top three in my mind as far as limited dragons are concerned. But I think Uvia is definitely up there in terms of priority and pick orders now in my list. It's, it's moved up quite a bit after seeing what it can do against Icelander. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? Because Redrick, the Embers, we valued very highly where it's just converting three ash into three aether ashwing and it also creates an ash so that's not all it does i guess but if you look at uvia who if she lives two turns she's doing what red rig the embers is doing and she's a one six on top of that so it kind of makes sense that uvia is pretty strong especially if the games are going reasonably longer which as dromai against icelander that's kind of your goal is to drag out the game take advantage of your arcane barrier and slowly whittle away at icelanders what icelander can do so yeah Going back, I agree, or I guess going forward, I agree that Uvia is a card that I was not rating very highly, but I think it does seem very powerful in the Dromai versus Icelander matchup. I don't want to say unbeatable, but there are game states where it's pretty close to unbeatable. That makes sense. I would say I'm higher on Icelander than I was before overall, and surprisingly now I'm the lowest on Pi, so 
Thank you for asking how my drafts went, Michael. Um, <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was going to. I was finishing talking about Uvia. It's okay. I know it's all about you first. I'm used to it by now. You asked. But me. <laughs> I uh, I drafted an amazing Dromai deck in my first pod and just threw away a game in my final round of that pod. Just went two and one and just decided when my opponent was at one life in a Dromai mirror to pop a whelp for some reason instead of just taking their last card out of their hand i was thinking well maybe since i'm at three or four if i pop one of these whelps i'll be able to live more turns and i don't want to make my whelps that as vulnerable because obviously the whelp on whelp action makes the drum my mirror pretty complicated sometimes and you're often incentivized to not be the first person to make the whelps but yeah just threw away that game instead of attacking my opponent for one and then in the second pot i drafted phi and just played against Icelander twice. And the more I play fine Icelander, the more I just think that is just a miserable matchup from the Fi perspective. If the Icelanders are at all competent or have like reasonable decks, there's just so little you can do from the Fi perspective, it feels like. Since you want to be as efficient and low to the ground, I guess, so to speak, when you're playing out your Fi hands, Getting those frostbites, getting hit with Aether Ice Veins in particular is just a beating. And then compounded with the fact that you really only have one source of Arcane Barrier in your shoes, the Tide Flippers, and there's no other reliable way or any way for you to have access to Arcane Barrier at that point. It really gives Icelander the inevitability where she just has to tempo you enough to weather through your first couple pieces of Quell or your Miter. And then for the rest of the game, she just has these huge chunks of unblockable arcane damage coming at you at instant speed while disrupting you. So the more this format plays out, the more it really does feel like there's just that triangle of Icelander beats Phi, Phi beats Dromai, Dromai beats Icelander. And it's not 100% and it's not always unwinnable for any of those matchups, but I definitely think it leans more in that direction than not. Yeah, I agree with that. One thing I found really interesting that I saw on Twitter... Uh, at the battle hardened, oh gosh, I don't know where it was. I think it was Syracuse. Anyway, people were saying that the top tables of the sealed event were almost all Phi. Like I heard that there were 18 Phi's, one Dromai and one Icelander in the top 20, which sounds crazy. Cause if a sealed format that's that heavily Phi favored, it seems like it should be pretty easy to just like have a reasonable Icelander pool and just beat up all the fives because the combination of disruption and unblockable damage is plenty to shut down Phi. And I guess both of our experiences based on what you were saying and me having similar experiences. Right. But I think sealed kind of skews in a couple of different ways. The first obviously is going to be people are going to have more poppers on average for Dromai, whereas in a draft pod, people might have one or two maybe poppers in their deck at the time but in sealed it's pretty easy to have two plus poppers already just naturally given the just number of packs you're opening so that puts dromai down a little bit already which flushes out some number um which which already just flushes out some number of dromais just automatically based on what people are opening in their packs and then furthermore icelander's overall still do need pretty particular pools in order to have a good seal deck they need to have a good amount of the blue non-attack actions combined with the ice cards to really warrant leaning in that direction whereas Phi just asks you to have the ninja cards that attack and they're so redundant and there's so many of them it just kind of makes sense to me that sealed heavily skews Phi, i guess yeah 
I guess from the seals we've done, I feel like it hasn't been that uncommon to feel like I, it was there was a reasonable Icelander pool there. And I guess going forward, if there are more sealed events, I'm not sure if there are. It seems like with how little Dromai there is, if your Icelander pool is remotely comparable to your Phi pool, then it seems like you should probably just lean Icelander and have that pretty favorable triangle matchup since you don't expect to see very drum very many dromais doing well at sealed and also phi kind of beats up on dromai so on top of that being harder it, on top of dromai being more vulnerable instead with the poppers there's also just more phis to fight against so i think that kind of pushes dromai down and for that reason icelander seems like she should be doing well at these events james white i don't know if you listen to this podcast you probably don't you were on the Instant Speed podcast, and you said the team's working on letting us know about events well more in advance, but come on, man. We don't know where any callings are in North America for the rest of the year, maybe? There's going to be one at Nationals. We know that. There's one at Nationals. Do we know what format it is? It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It does not look like it says what format it is. I didn't think it said what format it was. Just like there's that Worlds that's been announced in San Jose, and we could reasonably assume that there's a calling there if they didn't already announce that, but we have no clue what format it is. Interestingly, though, that it will probably be classic constructed because by that time, the new supplementary Sut Dynasty will be out. So it'll be interesting to see how that format shakes out in however many months into the future that my brain can't possibly comprehend at this point. But the fact that a limited set came out and there are no sealed callings is just really bizarre to me because when Michael and I first started playing Flesh and Blood almost a year year ago now, one of the big things that drew us into playing was there was a sealed calling in Cincinnati just a few hours away from us, like six, seven weeks after we learned how to play. If there, I can't help but think that maybe if the calling schedule looked like what it did now last year with just no limited callings or events reasonably near us that we might not have even gotten into flesh and blood yeah i definitely for me it was a combination of the one million dollar announcement for 2022 and having uh, basically the same as a grand prix from magic happening a few hours away that was sealed so i didn't even have to have a constructed deck to play in it that's what really pulled me into the game like the game was fun but having access to like a sweet competitive event of limited because i think limited is like the best way to get new players in because they don't have to invest in a deck the barrier to playing limited is so so much smaller than constructed that that's i would it surprise me if we didn't get this far in flesh and blood if that wasn't an event that we had access to i guess maybe that's why they're doing it they know the story by now and they think shit if we get more limited callings we'll invite more michael hamilton to this game we can't have that we already have one michael hamilton if they have could you imagine more michael hamilton's playing flesh and blood that'd be crazy nobody else would be able to win anymore so speaking of no one else being able to win you want to jump back to road to nationals how i didn't win another one <laughs> oh, i thought you were gonna go back and speaking to nobody being able to win do you want to talk about your second road to nationals roger and how you couldn't win ever i was trying to dagger uh your comment saying no one could win and yet uh lots of people won that were not me so how did your road to nationals your set your classic constructed road to nationals go Oh, dude, it was sick. Lost against a Phi round one, and then won all the rest of my rounds, made it to top eight, and lost the exact same Phi player in top eight. I was on Prism. I think Prism into Phi is one of the most unwinnable, unfun, nothing-you-can-do matchups in all of Flesh and Blood now. It's worse than old-time into Prism. For This is just the revenge now, because Prism just got to just dominate old-time for all this time now, 
and now there's just a new hero that can just bully Prism into the ground into just not fun, unreasonable dynamics in the matchup. <laughs> yeah, I guess Prism kind of deserves this, in my opinion, after beating up our poor, poor old time for so long. But uh, I, I think like having matchups that are as polarized as Prism's are, I guess, feels like not good for the game. I also think like Prism into Kano, Prism into Icelander, Prism. <laughs> Prism has a lot of very lopsided matchups one way or the other. And I think that hopefully when Prism Living Legends, probably within the next, I don't know, I don't want to put it. Not if they keep for... printing Pi, she's not Living Legends anymore. <laughs> soon. But hopefully that no other heroes have this polarized of matchups in the future. I think that the way they re rebalance, the way they change Dromai dragons to be not Spectra and have, they take damage on hits and you need X damage to kill them based on the size of the dragon and they're also vulnerable to poppers on blocks. It makes me think that Dromai's matchups won't be anywhere nearly as polarized as Prism. And I think up to this point, Prism probably had by far the most polarized matchups. So I think this is, I guess we've already talked about the, well, how Dromai is better designed than Prism, I think. But yeah, at this point, I just want the air horn of the saying Spectra, worst keyword in flesh and blood reminder <laughs> every week. That should be our goal is just to remind everybody. It's just that Spectra is just the worst mechanic in all of flesh and blood. So here's your weekly reminder, everybody. So, so why don't you tell me about your deck choice or especially after i belittled it so much the past week <laughs> i had to try it after you made so much fun of belittle viscerai i decided i want to play belittle viscerai this deck looks sweet i like belittle minnowism i ranked it as my uh, seventh best card in the game i believe definitely put it up there and i still stand by it after playing that deck this weekend um i went undefeated in swiss until the last round where i conceded to my good friend roger Bodie to make sure that we would both make the top eights. And then in the top eight, I played a Viscerai Mirror against Eric Schupman, and he played much better than me. I made a few mistakes that kind of, I'm kind of looking back on like, yeah, I definitely should have done things differently. And he beat me up. He got his revenge. I've been on the other side where he's made a couple mistakes in games that have been pretty important. And he's a great player though. So it just kind of evened out, I guess. But I think the deck was very good and so what I'm hearing is the deck was very bad. It's so bad that not even Michael Hamilton can win an event with it, and it's basically unplayable. Got it. Cool. No, I made. I, I definitely made a couple of mistakes. And yeah, playing the deck game. was a mistake. I, I hear you loud and clear. All right. So moving on. <laughs> I guess just, just I don't, so everybody's aware. This is this is more akin to how my normal conversations with Michael go. Just me trolling him incessantly uh-huh. all the time. But he loves it. I, I do think the deck is really strong, though. Like, Belittle is just a very good card. You get Rosetta Thorn, you get Creepers, you get to do all the things that you want to do, and then playing with You get with to make it, Rune Chance by playing Belittle? No, you get to make Rune Chance because you play Minnowism, and it's your non-attack action, and then all your Rune Blade cards make Rune Chance. Like Belittle. Belittle's you, a Rune Blade card, right? You lead your turn with the Belittle. It's always the first card you play. And then you go get your Minnowism, and then you play the Minnowism, and then you've tr- satisfied Viscerai's ability of needing to play a non-attack action for the low cost of one card and one resource. You played a non-attack action attacked for three and given your next card plus three it's a good deal the problem is the problems with the deck i guess i'll go into since we're talking about it is so many of the cards block for two and a lot of viscerai's hands don't work very well they're just like not super efficient like viscerai has very powerful hands and some of his hands just don't function basically and that's because you need specifically resources non-attacks and attacks and since so few of viscerai's cards naturally have go again you also frequently need a source of go again or a way to get another action point which sometimes comes from your spellbound creepers sometimes it comes from 
a Mavern Skies, but regardless, you definitely need uh, help generating those action points or getting go again. And the combination of needing so many different things with hands means that your hands that don't work, you usually want to block out with those hands, but including the little minnowism in your deck, all those block for two rather than three and additionally have additional requirements to make your hands good. Like for Belittle, you need a, another card that has three or less power, preferably one that you want to play so you can play the Belittle and get the Red Minnowism and play the Red Minnowism. And that makes the hands frequently very awkward, but the power level is definitely there when everything is going correctly. You output a ton of damage and yeah. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'm still an OG viscerai build till i die kind of guy maybe i'm just also a little stubborn because i loved it so much with skeletta and i just miss skeletta man i just want to be able to draw 20 cards and deal 50 damage with all these sweet 60 rune chants in place that is that so much to ask for was that so wrong <laughs> uh i really am glad skeletta's god i think just the damage output that it put out sometimes and also the fact that viscerai could have these not even not even OTK turns. I think, like, it was overblown how important it was to OTK with Viscerai. I think, like, a lot of the time you should build up to, like, 10 rune chance or 12 rune chance, then go and not even try to get to, like, the 20 to 30 number that a lot of decks got to, I guess. Just because it's... A lot of your cards are so much less efficient um, when you're just sitting around blocking and making rune chance. But anyway, I think Skeletta being gone, good for the game. To your or point, though, I got a lot of free wins in that meta by just going off with, like, 12 rune chance and opponents just being like, oh, you're going off now? And I'm just like, yeah, I'll just go off for, like, this baby amount and draw, like, three cards and deal 30 damage to you and then just play a normal game for the rest of the game. Um, especially came down in that meta with Starvo with tracking cards like their Oak and Olds and their Crippling Crushes. So if you've gotten through, like, the first 20 cards of each player's deck and they've only played one or zero Oakenolds, you should probably start going off because the future turns are going to start being very, very painful if you're not being able to pressure Starvos. Uh, or at least that was the case, but I guess that's just not not a relevant skill anymore in today's world. Yeah, no more Starvos, no more Skeletta. Yeah, what a shame. It's a whole new world. Yeah. So are there any other heroes on your radar now that you're off of Visceri, now that you realize how bad that little deck is? What what deck do you want to play uh, going forward, do you think? I, I'm not off Visceri. I One thing that I don't really love about Visceri is a lot of your games go four turns. It's kind of like, like I guess a lot of Chains games didn't go that long, but they usually went a little bit longer because you wanted to block out a little bit, build up Shackles. You had Husk as another six life, and games went like probably to like turn five or turn six most of the time. And a lot of my Viscera games did not go that long. They went like turn four or turn five and the game was over. Um, and they aren't really, Viscera is not playing like any relevant on hits other than Mavrin Skies, which just makes more rune chance. So I definitely didn't feel like that. I don't want to say not fun because it is kind of fun doing the Viscera thing, but I don't, I don't love sitting around for <laughs> 30 minutes after I finish my round. I like playing a little bit slower of games. And so I'm probably going to move on to something slower. I'm pretty interested in Icelander. I like old time a lot still. And I think Lexi is also very good. So those are the three I'm probably going to spend the most time on working on, the most time working on in the next 
uh, the upcoming month or so. And it wouldn't surprise me if I end up on one of those three for Leal. But we'll see. Anything could really happen in the next month. That's fair. Ice is pretty nice. I will agree with that. <laughs> I guess those three are all ice heroes, huh? Yeah, they are all ice heroes. Who knew? They, they slow down the game. That's what I want to do. You just make your opponent just not play as efficiently, and then you just block, and then you, you just swing a hammer. That's what I've. That's the most actions <laughs> I've ever seen Michael do. Just swing the hammer. I like the hammer. It's very good. Well, go back to the hammer, man. You're not hammering away anymore. You, you can't. Sure, Rosetta Thorn's sweet, but it's, is it a hammer? Is it a frosty hammer? <laughs> yeah, so thanks for asking, Michael. Uh, going forward, <laughs> I really want to be working on Dorinthia, uh. it looks like. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So what do you want to work on going forward? Why, thanks for asking. <laughs> what a thoughtful and provocative question you asked me in response. I really like the idea of Dorinthia if Prism stock is going down. She just has a pretty flexible game plan. And ultimately, I like the heroes that have these flexible dynamic game plans. I'm not ever super interested in a deck that just does one thing. That's why I really didn't like Starvo, um, because I guess he, he had different options, but both of those options were both only doing one thing. They do could they're not really a deck that could pivot very well. So if you're going with the control version of Starvo, you were basically a control deck. If you're going the aggressive version of Starvo, you were basically the aggressive deck. Chain, obviously only ever an aggressive deck. It's just something where you're just looking to get to your uh, shackle number five or six, just end the game with just a slew of damage and card advantage. But Viscerai was really interesting in the last meta because it had this OTK plan and it had a very proactive, strong, aggressive plan. And before that, uh, I liked playing Bolton because Bolton had this sweet Sabres combo plan and a Raiden package where you could once again be an aggressive deck so i like decks that can't pivot depending on what i want out of a matchup and i think dorinthia sort of has that kind of game plan built within her Dawnblade leads itself to being played very aggressively when your opponent doesn't want to block and when your opponent does want to block it seems like there are still options available to her to kind of play this slower grindier game to go toe-to-toe with decks like old time and prism now Although I still think the Prism matchup is going to be pretty rough, but I think there are ways to iterate on Dorinthia with these new cards that she got out of these dual decks, like Glistening Steelblade. And she just has so many ways to give Dawnblade go again now, to the point where it's almost comical with how consistent she is with just always being able to swing Dawnblade twice. It's really, really rare now that the deck has like 25 ways to give Dawnblade go again. But all those ways that are giving Dawnblade go again also usually come with additional bonuses as well. For as we're giving it plus two power and the copper tokens, Glistening Steel Blade gives it the plus one tokens whenever it hits for the turn. And even the mopier ones like Hit and Run or Warrior's Valor still do a really good job of just providing the incidental damage and go again that Dawnblade's looking for. So I don't know. I could be wrong here. It could be way off base, but it's something I at least want to work on. I think going forward, a lot of people will be working on decks like Viscerai, Briar, Oldheim. I just think that they're just the decks I hear people talking about and most excited for in the upcoming meta. So that's why I kind of want to take my time and maybe look at some other unsung heroes in the format. And to that end, I was kind of thinking today, I might want to explore Dash a little bit as well. Dash isn't a hero that I've played a lot, but it also seems like a deck that once again has that potential to set up to play this long grindy attrition game when you're setting up with items or just 
just boost your way to this hyper-aggressive deck trying to snipe pieces of equipment with T-Bone or go playing these really long combat chains with boosted attacks to build up to a maximum velocity. So that's another deck I might kind of want to start iterating on and learning as well uh, because they just seem a little underexplored and but still very capable of playing these flexible dynamic game plans that I, I like doing so much in my decks. Yeah, that makes sense. Dash, as much as I give her crap about her equipment being kind of weak, she does have a very powerful chess piece when she's looking to be aggressive. It's three block that generates up to one extra resource every turn. It's definitely pretty powerful. Yeah, and one day they'll print good generic gloves, probably. I hope. <laughs> Maybe. And even when she's looking to be defensive, Teclo Foundry Heart, like you said, at least as a block three, she has good sources of Arcane Barrier with Viziertronic Model I1, I1, 1I. <laughs> uh, oh, it's one eye, and she only has one eye on the card. Or is there a second eye over there? I don't know. Uh, it has Arcane Barrier too, and it lets you set up your boost for the turn. So that's always important to find, you know, good pieces of Arcane Barrier to hedge against your Rune Blades or Wizards that are going to be hanging right there. Although I don't think Arcane Barrier 2 maybe is as impactful against Icelander if she's trying to ping you a whole bunch with Frost Tokens at the end of the game. But it's still obviously very good against all of her normal wizard non-attack actions that are just looking to deal the straight up arcane damage but anyways i i think all of her equipment is actually pretty solid except for goliath gauntlets boom 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 but maybe i'll have to get into hayden dale's good graces again and ask him if he wants to iterate dash with me because that guy loves dash man he does he does i take it all back your belittle deck was sweet it was so good, Aiden. it was it's the best <laughs> deck i've ever seen in my whole life just teach me how to play dash Maybe if you work together, you could fit some belittles in your aggro dash deck. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I take it all back then if that's if that's the condition. That sounds rough for boost consistency. Yeah, not really where you want to be with cards like um, maximum velocity. Ten is a little bit higher than three, I think. <laughs> you can have some big big attacks in your belittle deck. You just have to have mostly small attacks. Mm. But I think Dash's card pool is like pretty limited. Even if there wasn't a problem with putting all these generics in your boost deck, I just don't think that. The... I don't have to put very many generics in your boost deck at all. Like, I think current iterations that I have at the moment are only playing, like, nine generics total in the list. And I'm even playing some wonky things with some pummels at the moment, which probably isn't even good to begin with. I'm just looking for some cards to kind of round it out. But overall, the core of the deck is pretty solid and mechanologist focused it's just finding out those last like i said nine to ten slots for between your sideboard and main deck um is really just where what you need to figure out what are your thoughts on uh art of war in an aggressive dash deck sell it to me what 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 why would i want art of war in my aggressive dash deck so the reason that you would want art of war in your aggressive dash deck is many of dash's chains are going three to sometimes even four attacks wide and Art of War costs one resource to give plus one to all of your attacks for the turn, on top of replacing itself in the card you banish with two new cards. It means if you go four attacks wide, that's four damage. If you go three attacks wide, it's still three damage for one resource, just quite a good deal. And Art of War is a very powerful card. I could try. I could be talked in playing Art of War. It might be better than these pummels I got floating around. Yeah, I'll think about it. Like I said, I, I'm pretty early into thinking about playing Dash. I haven't played a lot of Dash before in my past. I don't have much of a Dash past. Maybe I'll have a bright Dash future. I hope so. That'd be cool. I guess if you were if you were thinking about Pummels or playing Pummels, I think Art of War seems like reasonably higher upside. Yeah. 
the deck that I worked on a little bit over the past few weeks that made me really sad, that was also sort of a pummel deck, was Reinar. And funnily enough, at the past uh, Road to Nationals when I was on Prism, people traditionally say Prism into Reinar is a little rough for Prism. He has the boots that give him multiple actions in a turn, maybe, spoilers, and lots of poppers in his deck. He, on paper, should have a very solid matchup into Prism. But there's always the opportunity, like what happened to my opponent, where he picks up a die to roll his scapskin leathers when I have two auras on the battlefield, and he rolls a one, and he goes, don't worry about it, I have these gambler's gloves. So he cracks the gambler's gloves, and he gets to re-roll, and then rolls another one, and the turn is over. That's it. Nothing else you can do. I just get to go right back into my prism turn with my four cards in hand, one card at arsenal, set up another two auras, and just start attacking them for the rest of the game without a care in the world. And I don't know ultimately how Reinar is ever going to fix that variance that's inherent to him. I don't think as long as Brute is designed the way that it is, it's really possible. But what led me to want to even try Reinar was the possibility of smoothing out that variance with a card like Trade-In. So Trade-In would just be a really good card from Arsenal, obviously when it naturally has go again, but even if it doesn't, you could take the gamble on the boots to get your multiple action points. And being able to choose to purposefully discard your weakest six to draw back up and get that additional Intimidate off of him is pretty solid, as well as just being able to turn on the go again from the Mandible Claws for the turn so I just thought it was an interesting idea. Ultimately, it wasn't something I was able to successfully make work. And then into like the more aggressive decks like Briar, it also was not very impressive. I think there could be something there eventually, but I just don't think it's there right now. Yeah, that makes sense. I thought you were going to go on a rant about how much you love scapskin leathers. Every time I bring up that card, usually you're like, I love scapskin leathers. The math works out that it's so good. 1.5 action points. Now, scapskin leathers is very good. So tell me, Michael, how do you spend 0.5 action points? What? Well, you get 1.5 action points from scapskin leathers. So how are you spending these 0.5 action points that you're getting off of them? Well, the average result is 1.5. You can't actually roll 1.5. You get one or two action points most of the time. So the average result is a one because you round down. No, why Why would you round down? Because you can't round up action points. You have to round down the action you, points. You just don't round. The average amount of action points you get is 1.5. On some turns you'll have one, some turns you'll have two. A few turns, occasionally you'll have a zero or a three. Hopefully not too many zeros. But again, like essentially if you're winning the game, you don't have to roll scab skins. And if you're losing the game, increasing variance is generally better for the player that's behind in the game. So you have control over when you roll these scab skins, and it is, on average, it is giving you extra action points. It is turning one action point into an average of 1.5 action points. And the times that you roll a one and you gambler's gloves and get another one, you're probably just going to lose those games. And every time you roll, if you have gambler's gloves, it's 1 in 36 to happen. And if you don't have gambler's gloves, it's 1 in 6. But in games where you're unlikely to win anyway... That's not a huge risk to take. The problem is that if Reinar isn't strong enough, you're just going to be in games that you're more likely to lose anyway all the time if the rest of the deck isn't strong enough. I hope he's good one day. I think my favorite card out of the deck that every time I cast, I was like, this deck's sick, was Blood Rush Bellow. That card. That, that's a good card. That's a, People better watch out if Reinar's ever, ever like tier one because that card whew, does some stupid things. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's a shame he only gets one action point on average with his boots. <laughs> 1.5. <laughs> anyway, 
that's what we're interested in working on at the moment. There are some other powerful decks in the format that we obviously always have to be considering, like Briar, uh, Phi to an extent, but I'm curious to see how Phi performs in not the Prism matchup that I've constantly been being beaten to death over my past few matches, because Phi is a hero that feels a lot like Lexi, where he just doesn't want to block and is also worse at blocking because he's playing way more two blocks, but at least all of Lexi's stupid arrows block for three. <laughs> so I don't know. It just seems like a very linear deck, but some people are saying that like it has a decent matchup into heroes like old time. Yeah, I definitely need to see that still. I haven't gotten to play the matchup a lot. I admittedly haven't been working on old time very much yet. So I think that like potentially... I could see five being very reasonable into the fatigue version of Oldheim, where every turn you're getting plus three damage off your Searing Ember Blade and plus one damage off your Phoenix Flame, so you're getting four damage without expending a card basically every turn. So like it's pretty hard to fatigue that. But I think if Oldheim is just like hitting five with relevant on hits frequently, then five is just blocking with his hand, and then he five with two cards is not playing a very efficient or powerful turn very often. So five hit with an Endless Winter seems very bad for Fi. Because then activating a sword gives him a frostbite. Activating his hero ability gives him a frostbite. Activating his chest piece if he wants to do that gives him a frostbite. Activating snap dragon scalers if you need a source to go again gives him a frostbite. It's just there's a lot of things that even that even like marginal card like an endless winter is already presenting problems with, and that's without even going into cards like Oak and Old or Spinal Crush. So it turns out go again is probably pretty important to Fi's game plan. Yeah, and even without the big on hits, even if you're just swinging the ice hammer frequently and throwing in ice reacts every now and then, that kind of stuff is probably just, and I would expect that to be enough to really like disrupt Fi a reasonable amount. Right, because ultimately Fi, the vast majority of Fi's cards still are just these zero for threes. So that's kind of just the bread for butter. It's not even like Briars, uh, like the old Cheerio Redliner Briars zero for fours, where she was at least pushing through damage sometimes that way. Ultimately, it's just a lot of zero for threes and then trying to push through multiple on hits in a row with in order to enable your maximum momentum drawing cards. But that just seems very difficult to do into a deck that wants to block a lot, out a lot, but... Maybe we're just crazy, Michael. Maybe. Still, I'm still also very interested in Dromai. We didn't really talk about her much, and I haven't gotten to play with her since last cast we recorded, but I've seen her in action a little bit, and it definitely seems like there could be something there. The dragons are strong. Her, A lot of her cards are just, like again, reasonably above rate, and on top of that, she has these dragons that, if they don't get popped, they're also very good, but... Until Prism leaves, there might just be too many poppers in the format. And also with the addition of a race face, there's another popper that has a lot of utility in a lot of spots. So we'll see, I guess. Yeah, that was going to be my first question as soon as you were done talking about Dromai here is why would I ever play Dromai while Prism is still legal? It just, it's, I, I get the power level of it. It just seems like a corrected version of the power level of Prism. So I get, while overall that's definitely going to be a very powerful strategy, I just don't see the appeal to playing Jiromai while, like I said, Prism is still tournament legal and classic instructed. Sure, that, that makes sense. I definitely think it is possible that Jiromai could be reasonable into Prism, but... I don't. I do not think that at all. It was my easiest win on the weekend. 
So spoilers, or I guess not spoilers, but I guess even though I said I wasn't doing a tournament report, I also played against a Drill Mayan Prism, and the game was like not close at all in any way, shape, or form. So Prism gets just more natural poppers that she wants access to. She has the Celestial Cataclysm, obviously. Some number of Command and Conquer are usually staples in the list, and usually a three of them in everybody's list, or a race face. She's usually not playing both, but pick whichever one of those you want for generic. And then Find Elves Fighting Spirit Yellow is actually a pretty big gain for the deck, I felt like. Being able to be a block two that gains you a life, or just a three, four, seven when you're behind is an effect that you're just happy to play on just a random yellow in a pretty big upgrade already over a card like yellow raging onslaught that the decks were playing before and while dromai could be playing the red version of this card it's a lot higher of an ask because prism can realistically cast this card or attack with it because she is playing a good number of blues whereas having to pitch three red cards in order to play this card does not really seem like where you want to be. So right off the bat, I just feel like there's better and more, sorry, there's more poppers that Prism is happy to play in the matchup already where it's very popper dependent. And two, it's much easier for Prism to deal with the onboard effects of the dragons than it is for the dragons to get multiple go-agains in order to pop the Spectra auras. So so a card like Prismatic Shield, you wouldn't think would be that good in the matchup, but that card was very, very, very powerful for me because it was just cast that card, kill three whelps, or pick off some of these lesser power dragons because a lot of them have two or three health, um, so they're pretty easy to attack. And then combine and the ones that do have higher health, you're just super happy to attack with with your heralds and just whether you're attacking with the Herald Protection, you're hitting them, getting your Spectral Shield. Obviously, Herald of Erudition, as everybody knows at this point, draw your two cards, very strong, very powerful. And they can't pop your, you know, Heralds when you're, they're attacking your dragons, but you can, and I guess you can't pop their dragons when they're attacking your auras, but like I said, it's a lot easier for you to kill multiple dragons in a turn than it is for them to kill multiple auras in a turn. So that was just my take on the dynamics of the game maybe there's some tech or some hedge or something that i'm missing in the matchup but it felt very prism heavy uh in the matches i played so far yeah that makes sense i think i, I have some theories i'd like to try out in the matchup but that would require me to devote some time to dromai and i should i should just do that because i've been wanting to try dromai for a for a bit so you and i gotta start playing way more flesh and blood buddy these two hours in the morning aren't enough flesh and blood clearly i, I agree i agree we should play some more there's only what like six weeks till france and we got to spend a week of that drafting in france although i don't even know why we're drafting in france anymore but we'll be i guess we could just like hang out in france for a couple days like we don't have to do draft houses we could just go on romantic dates spend a day in Paris, (laughs) see the eiffel tower i i still would like to do some drafts i know that you're not the highest on the format but i still think it would be good to both freshen up and play against people that are play play in a pod of people that are all playing to compete in the pro tour sounds like a very it would be a very like focus group and i think we would get a lot out of it even if drafting the format's not the most enjoyable thing i still think the games play really well and the triangle does exist but the games are still pretty interesting and i just don't love the drafting format since i don't know if we've actually talked about this on the podcast but the way that drafting and flesh and blood works where you have like a few early picks to kind of like choose what hero you're in 
And then after that, you're just almost always picking between just the cards. Or you're just picking between the cards that your hero can play. And there is a lot of variability in power level between cards, but there aren't there isn't a lot of contextual reasons based on what cards you have that you'd want to change your pick order. So you're never playing Icelander and you're like, ooh, I really want this yellow block three over one of your blue cards or your red ice cards or something. I think that's going to be our topic for our next podcast. It's going to be how to fix Flesh and Blood Limited. And we'll send it right to James White and he'll listen to it and they say, thank you, Michael and Roger. I, did, I didn't realize that we could have been doing this for our limited products the whole time. I now know exactly how to make this game even better for limited and we'll do so going forward. And we'll say, you're welcome, James White. But <laughs> that is definitely a topic that we'll have to cover at some point on the cast. Yeah, sounds good. But I guess come in full circle about our road to nationals so we have one more road to nationals where michael and i will both be playing in the same event this coming weekend which is draft once again i'm not super excited about it because it's draft but hopefully i can do well enough and dodge one michael hamilton enough times in order to make it to the top eight and then dodge michael hamilton one more time and get a nationals qualification because if i don't get a nationals qualification i really can't justify going to nationals be a little awkward if i show up and i say one nationals play please and they say sir you're not qualified and i'll just have to slink away sadly (laughs) there is a calling to play and i definitely recall a couple people flying to orlando last year for uh not to not play in nationals yeah but nobody even respects that calling because after he won that calling people were like (laughs) he won the side event calling while all the good players were in the national events and it's like okay well let's see you win a calling (laughs) But I remember the disrespect. I was I was offended on your behalf, Michael. I know you're a humble guy most of the time, but that wasn't cool by me. You're a good flesh and blood player, no matter what anybody else tells you. And your win at the Orlando made me real proud of you. So I love you, and you're a good boy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> thoughts before we wrap up our freeform cast kind of went off the rails huh (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) do you have any final thoughts before we wrap things up then michael all right i think i'm ready to to say goodbye okay well then say goodbye goodbye thanks for listening everybody and remember next time you're playing flesh and blood remember mind your manners we'll see you next time